It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. I thought you were from debbiedowner.com with your yesterday's episode about sea turtle facts and being kept on their backs. Oh, man. You're the normal downer, so I had to try to... I might end on a death note, but I don't usually end on a sea turtle death note. Well, you know my feelings about sea turtles, so it's really sad that they did such a thing. Yeah, so why'd you even bring it up again? Get everybody bummed out for today now. Don't be bummed out. When I was just going to say, thanks for joining us for minute 69 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Thought I would circle back to our introduction to Cotton's Parrot for a moment. So you rehashed yesterday, so I thought I could get a chance to do that. We haven't seen Cotton Parrot, Cotton's Parrot in a couple minutes here. Yeah, it's been a little bit, but there's been some developments and I had to bring it back up. So yeah, Did you rehashing figure is, out the third parrot? No third parrot action. This is actually just something that we forgot to mention because you were on that thing and it showed up in our Facebook. So I thought I would just talk about it for a moment because we were discussing with a listener on, like I said, our Facebook because we forgot to talk about this on the show, so we were kind of leaving things hanging with it to a point. So I believe it was minute 62, actually, and we were going back and forth on what Cotton's parrot actually said, and we could hear it both ways, but we started to lean towards when do you sail as opposed to wind in your sails. Why? Because we always watch the minute and then review them with closed captions on to capture the written audio. The closed caption said, when do you sail? When do you sail? Yeah. Remember when they yeah. were saying if you get ready? And Jack took that as evidence of, okay, they're ready to go. And Jack then uses that to convince Will. <laughs> we convince, as in quotes, which makes Will just go, okay, this is a bunch of crazies and stuff. But anyways, the script does actually say, wind in your sails. Wind in your sails. Oh, really? Not, when do you sail? And it's possible we were persuaded by seeing the closed captions and starting to hearing it that way as opposed to what the script actually says. It's likely this is just another instance of the captions being wrong, especially in this minute because it also eliminated the word almost certain from Jack's question to Cotton when he's really asking him, are you ready to face almost certain death kind of thing? But instead, the closed captions just say, are you ready to face, you know, death or whatever. Oh, okay. So that's the backstory and how we actually forgot to leave that out of our conversation. But we're always happy to hear what you think. And we're always happy to hear what you hear Cotton's parrots say at that particular moment. Is it wind in your sails, I should say, or when do you sail? And we should probably just give it a week and listen to it again at some point and see if we hear it differently without the closed captions on. But it actually makes more sense wind in your sails, not when do you sail, because Gibbs actually says, we take that to mean yes, or we take that, you know, because that's the thing, right? Right. Why would he ask? keep asking that question? And that's 
when do you sail? Yeah. When do you sail? Because it doesn't make sense then Gibbs is yeah. like, well, we take that as an affirmative or a yes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because then that would obviously be a yes. Right. Like we're ready to go. As opposed to wind in your sails, wind in your sails, which and then they're saying, okay, that's what we interpret it as. But anyways, that's just another conversation or something that happened on Facebook and cleared up what we left out, conspicuously left out, and kind of misquoted because we forgot to talk about why we quoted it as when do you sail? So that's Darn, the backstory. closed caption. Exactly. <laughs> they are wrong from time to time, yes. but that was the reason. And we and we did review it quite a bit, and it did yes. sound like that. So I think it could have just been one of those instances of we're starting to hear that because we were reading it. Yeah. So that's all I have. Now that that's solved, do you want to just get to the minute? Let's get to the minute. In the previous minute, we learned that Captain Jack Sparrow is hiding one hell of a secret identity, which, thanks to Gibbs, was also spilled during his tall tale of Jack's escape from the island prison after the Black Pearl Mutiny, as Arthur Curry. Paraphrasing Gibbs, Jack waded into the shallows and communed with the sea creatures until they acclimatized to his presence before roping a couple of sea turtles to create a raft from the Sasquatch-like hair from his back. Yes. Jack Sparrow is a hairy Aquaman. <laughs> After story time ends, Jack commands the crew to drop anchor as he and Will are going ashore. If anything should happen, the last order is to stick to the code. Minute 69 begins with us getting just another second, literally one freaking second, of Will Turner's suspicious mind as he weighs the impending situation before we cut to Barbosa's cursed pirates. Elizabeth and torches navigating a cave on Isla de Muerta. Stereotypical pirate growls included and at no extra cost. The treasure room is bustling with activity and mounds of gold, trinkets, jewels, and other valuables that have been hoarded for the last decade fill the cave. The minute ends with Bosun giving Pentel and Rigetti the sigh and eye combination after seeing them with parasols in hand, and the minute officially ends with a close-up of a lantern hanging from a hook, or a harpoon, or some other makeshift crook device that is supporting this lantern. And that's it. <laughs> that was a less than professional ending to that particular minute breakdown. But I just had to do it. Was I was I usually have that polished up more. Now yeah. look at now I gotta go back. Gosh. We should just all hold on while you I go back and relook at that. Rewind. <laughs> yeah. So the treasure cave. I mean, this is where we actually see the cave. Finally, the cave on Isla de Muerta. We've had Isla de Muerta for a few minutes now, but this is actually what we've wanted to see is them inside the cave. And I think this is actually one of the big scenes for the movie because this was such a huge set. Right. It was the same space that was redesigned in 1997 to accommodate an enormous asteroid set for another Jerry Bruckheimer film. Asteroids? Ah! <laughs> asteroids. No. And for one thing, I paused because I, I said filled instead of film. And I was going to correct that. But now we'll just leave it in because you said asteroids. Armageddon. Asteroids. <laughs> it's a game. It's hard it's game, game I mean, right? Yeah. Right. You're even asking me? Walk the plank. Oh, my God. The only thing that I can think of is when I hear that, when you said that was vacation, when they're meeting with <laughs> Cousin Eddie's <laughs> no, cousin Eddie's family and the kid. And actually, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, what's the son's name? Clark. No, that's the dad's name. Oh, I don't remember. Can't think of his son's name. They're actually in cousin. Well, he's hanging out with cousin Eddie's kids and he yeah. says, do you have asteroids? And he says, no, but my dad does. <laughs> So that's what I thought of. But no, Heather, Armageddon, not asteroids. <laughs> Man. Oh, my God. And now let's get back to the cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's actually the largest of the Disney sound stages. Oh, really? With a labyrinth of winding waterways, hidden grottos, treacherous rock passages. It was a little bit of the Disney feel of the cave and the ride. Yeah, because the island's caves were actually based on Dead Man's Cove, from what I understand. And that was what you were talking about in this Disneyland ride. Well, the original Disneyland yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And there was a scene with a waterfall that was going to actually be in the movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl. This was going to happen when Jack Sparrow and Will Turner go down a flume into the caves, but was cut due to budget. And despite this, the idea was later put into the screenplay for At World's End. Was that like a Goonies scene when they're going down the <laughs> exactly the water? That's right. <laughs> Check out our friends, Brady and Chris at GooniesMinute.com. <laughs> So this is one of the largest sets, which you said, that is built on the stage in Hollywood. It took five months to build with over 100 craftsmen. Wow. Yeah. Partly sculpted out of styrofoam and partly built with wood frame and plaster. It's also filled with 300 gallons of water over four feet. 300 gallons? That doesn't seem right. It's... It's a tiny little 300, pond. 300,000. I'll send you to the <laughs> Like, how come there's no water in here? Everything's a little misty. It's glistening. Yeah, we put 300 gallons of water just to, to give it a wet look. <laughs> Whatever. The four feet. 300,000. Which took four to five days. And it's distressed over a period of three weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's cool. And I'm always amazed at the distressing process when they make it do that. It's like when they were talking about the costumes and the clothing, how they uh -huh. all came from, the, well, they all came from the costume designer and then the house that they had actually, or the manufacturer that did all these costumes and they came all brand new looking great. And then they give them to their production people to actually distress them. And one of the guys, I can't think of his name offhand, but actually did all the work. And then it pretty much looks dirty and yeah, like it's old been worn and, and old. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. They're, they're artists in themselves actually to do that. Yeah. Verbinski actually wanted gold everywhere. He said the pirates are not art collectors. They're in it for the money. They made hundreds of cubic feet of rock look like gold nuggets. And they collected hundreds of yards of fake pearls and beads. <laughs> and a mass of just odd objects and just painted them gold to make the... Yeah, you can see all kinds of things Enormous, in yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of those too weren't, you know, they're not actually metal a lot of them are just plastic and, you know, yeah. plastic trinkets and, you know, pearls and probably like, uh, you know, Mardi Gras bead kind right. of things that yeah. are all these plastics. And then they just painted them. And I know Elizabeth, or I should say Kira Knightley, was saying how all of these were plastic and, or a lot of them were plastic. And she took a lot of them home, actually. Oh, really? She says, yeah. I know that um, all the cast members, or majority of the cast members, ended up taking the actual gold medallions. Oh, yeah. You know? So they were careful in creating disorder and making the cave look haphazard as though pirates taking boatloads of loot and just dumping them into heaps. Yeah, you know, the one thing... They actually show this in the movie. They're actually just taking buckets of gold yeah, they're and just dumping, dumping it on yeah, top of those heaps. The, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. The part with the spray-painted kind of nuggets, if you will, when yeah. I was looking at that really closely in the minute... You know, it does look, if, if you just look at it quickly, it goes okay. But if you really kind of zoom in and really look at this stuff, it doesn't quite look like gold nuggets. It actually almost looked like maybe lava rock. You know, like you go to the 
landscape place and get a yard or get yards of lava rock, you know, small lava rock for your yard and for landscaping. And then they spray painted them. It just didn't have that air of believability when I really zoomed in and look at it. Okay. But I wanted real gold nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's 14 years old. Right? I know. I'm just telling you and when I really looked at it, it didn't quite pass off. And then with the definition of the televisions and right. stuff these days, you do not. You, they did not have these high definition televisions like they do today when this movie was made. I'm so just you saying. probably, probably during when it was made, you couldn't tell. That's possible, but also they didn't expect somebody to be zooming yeah, in well, and breaking yeah, it that... down the movie by a minute. So that's Very another true. thing. <laughs> Getting back to Dead Man's Cove, it's also known as Dead Man's Grotto or simply the Grotto, and that was a mysterious and haunted sea cave located in Isla Tesoro, which, as Heather was explaining, kind of with this labyrinth and that kind of deal. But it's referred to as the Graveyard of Lost Souls, and this subterranean passageway was known for the cursed treasure which pirates have died for that was hidden within the caverns. Many of these buccaneers met a brutal fate, forever silenced to keep the location of the booty a secret. Filled with waterfalls, the grotto had a beach littered with the pirate's skeleton remains. A ghost ship sailing in a storm tossed the lagoon, glittering troves of ill-gotten treasures, and a ghostly grotto. This haunted realm where a ghostly voice in admonishes dead men tell no tales. Like how I started it kind of spooky and yes. then I just started to read it. Yeah. Recalled the struggles pirates endured on the open seas. And so this is what we see when we actually go into the ride. You can see that. Right. Over the years, Dead Man's Cove of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride would receive several changes. In the 2006 revamp of the ride, the stone chest from the first film would appear in the treasure room sequence, and the misty cavern was also replaced by a waterfall that showed a visage of Davy Jones. And we talked about some of that when Adam was here. Yes. And in 2011, Blackbeard temporarily replaced Davy Jones until the end of the year, in which he only appeared in the Magic Kingdom version. In 2012, mermaids would appear in the ride at Walt Disney World by a shape splashing in the water near the skeletons on a beach. Then you can see a mermaid skeleton that lies with them. An audio of My Jolly Sailor Bold can also be heard at this part of the ride. In the final scene of the ride, Jack Sparrow is rocking back and forth on an ornate chair and drunkenly singing the theme song while celebrating his fortune. The chair was not actually used in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, but it's supposedly a prop from the Haunted Mansion film adaption with Eddie Murphy. And as I said, actually, I forgot, probably should have elaborated, but the Aztec treasure chest from Pirates of the Caribbean is the one that I mentioned at this treasure chest that now appears. The actual prop that was used in the movie? That's right. That kind of stoned Aztec chest that we see. Yeah, so that's the one that they put into the treasure room. Yeah. I think that's enough about the treasure room because what I really want to talk about inside this treasure room of this cave on Isla de Muerta is the is gold. The gold? No. Oh. It's Pintel and Rigetti. <laughs> I mean, these guys are acting like a couple of Marys, right? And Bosun starts to walk by and he just, it's like, it just goes to show you that these two pirates are constantly acting the buffoons because he goes by or stops at them and looks at them and it's like, they're twirling parasols again. Come on. I mean, Rigetti <laughs> is actually twirling that parasol. Yeah. And then the look that uh, Pintel gives, he gives this kind of little wave and this funny little smile. It's just like, oh my goodness. Exactly. Because Boson can't muster the words. He can't even just say <laughs> just something. He shakes his head. I mean, he only looks and basically shakes his head and walks away. It's obviously, well, I can't forget the size. Like, <sighs> kind of a yeah. growl. 
Obviously, this is a standard operating procedure when it comes to these two. Yeah. But that's what they do. And I think that's why he expected. And you're right, because they're talking. They're having like a sharing feeling moment. Because he's telling him, don't rub your eye. When the curse is lifted, we'll all be rich and we can get you a glass eye. It'll feel better. You know, they're they're just like two partners here. And they're just <laughs> yeah. so happy that the curse is going to be done. And then you got Rigetti just rubbing that wooden eye. He's like, it hurts so bad kind of <laughs> deal. You know, splinters. This one does. I mean, everyone, something terrible. Yeah, everyone else is bringing in treasure, and yet, wah wah wah. These two, their <laughs> chest has clothes and accessories in it. Not it's even swag. Really, well, not, not even for a man. It's no. a parasol and some dresses. They and, seemed a little shocked that that's what was in it. And that's what I don't understand because it's to make matters worse. The two parasol handles that they're holding were actually even sticking out of the chest. So it just goes to show you who we're dealing with here. Yeah. It's either they couldn't get them to fit in the chest properly or to fall out properly for the actual filming, or these two didn't even bother to open this up. That means they dragged this chest from Port Royal, or I'm assuming that's where they got it, or maybe another stop along the way. And they're carrying it down. It's a long hike back to the ship. Everybody else has got gold and treasure, and these guys are like, yeah, we got ourselves a treasure chest here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on top of it, they rode it to the cave. Yeah, and then they rode it to the cave and nobody bothers to open this thing up and say, you know, there's like, what are these handles here? I hope that's <laughs> handles to the Ark of the Covenant here, something that's really gold, but no, it's not. <laughs> Just a couple of parasols. But who wouldn't actually? You know, you got the parasol there. He's twirling it. I have to say, I'd probably twirl it if I was holding it. Because you'd just be sitting there and it'd be like the yeah. fidgeting with it. yeah. I know Boson doesn't see that that way. He sees it as, you know, why are we dealing with these two? Seriously. I bet if Boson actually just saw the stuff fall out of that chest, he'd probably do the same thing. You know, it wouldn't be a surprise like, you know, that's what you brought. It's really the same look. They're playing with the parasols. You know, it doesn't matter. Anything that these two do, he just shakes it off as, yeah, these two guys are just buffoons. And, you know, you you can't help them. They're a bit touched. So we just, (laughs) they're challenged. So we'll just let it be. And Boson's being good about that. He's a real, he has a real big heart for, for who he is. <laughs> we know that Boson likes to slap people and doesn't have a problem with it. He had no qualms about slapping Elizabeth no. and was going to slap her again. I'm thinking Pentel and Rigetti need a slap for what they did because not only that, they hike this thing here. Man, I swear. Yeah, but Pentel is being so sweet to Rigetti. <laughs> yeah. We'll get you a glass eye when we can. The curse is lifted, and when that will fit, stop rubbing it. You're making it hurt. Yeah. Uh, This is actually a good point, though, in a weird way, not whatever you're saying there, because I tuned you out. No, I didn't tune you out. Otherwise, I Uh wouldn't notice. Sure you did. It's more evidence of what they feel, and that is unpleasant sensations. He's saying his wooden eye splinters and is irritating, so obviously... It's more evidence piling on about what they feel. So they're not in this state of no feelings whatsoever. They do feel things that necessarily are unpleasant. Yeah, they don't feel pleasures. Yeah. So I got a question for you then. Yes. Since I like to announce questions then. I like to announce questions. Why not ditch the wooden eye? Why is Rigetti held to this wooden eye? Why does he want it? Because it makes him look normal. More normal. Normal. Well, it's not like he can improve his moonlight appearance here. The guy's a damn skeleton. I can't imagine a patch is any more comfortable. You got that strap going around your face. 
I would rather ha- wear a patch than have splinters inside my eye socket or my what eyelid. What's his eye there? Is this just a connection to his humanity like the apple is to Barbosa? maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Or is he really I'm not like sure he's just, that deep. That's what I'm saying. Or is he really just a little touch like we like to say? I think he's a little touch. He doesn't like the look of the patch. He'd rather have the splintery eye. He can sand it down a little when he needs to. I just don't know why he doesn't ditch that thing. They're already in well, enough Well, he doesn't comfort. want to hold there. He doesn't like the patch. Put the patch on. Doesn't like it. He's a skeleton, for God's sake. Doesn't like the patch. Well, Pintel also doubles down on the timeline for us and confirms it by saying that they've been hoarding this swag for 10 years. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So now we got real formal confirmation on that. Yeah. They've been that way for 10 years. Yeah. And the one other big thing, and probably the big thing, it's not, even though I like to talk about Pintel and Rigetti, the big actual thing really is the Aztec chest and Elizabeth Swan there. So we talked about how things got real for Elizabeth on the Black Pearl a few minutes back. And here... like weeks ago. Yeah, it seems like weeks ago. (laughs) She reaches that last level that this sacrifice thing is actually going to happen. It wasn't just some made-up story Barbosa told to scare her. She walks in. She sees the treasure room here. Well, specifically, she sees the Aztec chest on this mound of gold and gets this wide-eyed, frightened look. Right. And Boson comes up and pushes her. I mean, besides the pushing, she's actually sitting there going, there's no teasing going on here. They're actually going to plan to kill me is what I'm getting out of this. Oh, not the pushing? No, not the pushing. I mean, the skeletons were bad enough, and now the blood repaid is on the way. At least that's what I'm thinking. She's that's thinking. what she's thinking. Yeah, exactly. Because then Barbosa's up there giving a speech about it and doing all this kind of stuff. And she's already seen that they've kind of done this ceremonial weird thing with her getting her ready and putting the medallion around her neck. And now she's there, and she actually sees a treasure ch- or this chest, this Aztec treasure chest. This chest of Cortez, and that's like, okay, she's had all these dots lining up of this thing is real, especially at the skeleton stuff, but now she actually sees the chest and thinks, okay, my God, they really are going to have to kill me. Yeah. So I have to say, what are your thoughts on the Aztec chest? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I didn't, not really. Well, I thought it was interesting, but more importantly, it really reminded me of the idol in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this is when Indy enters the temple and he sees the idol with the spotlight of sunshine on it. In this like rather darkened temple or cave, wherever he was. I can't think of it right now. Yeah. We'll have to listen to Indiana Jones Minute. I'm going to see how many I can get in this time. <laughs> hey guys, at indianajonesminute.com. You have this Aztec chest that's being lit by, you know, the light is kind of shining on it and highlighting it. And just like in Indiana Jones, when he walks into that room and he sees that idol and it's being lit by the sun. It was just an interesting twist. That I thought. And so the Aztec chest, it's like this crux of the curse and it's everything that's driving the plot and it's sitting really on top of this treasure mound with this light shining on it. It's the spotlight saying, this is what we've all been waiting for. So did they really (laughs) need to shine that on it? Yeah. Oh, well, okay then. You have to focus on the goal. Well, you do, but did they have to actually put the proverbial light on it though? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, okay, it's is this the, a bona fide cliche then? To, can we call it a cliche that there's a can. the object there, this treasure object, and then it has the light shining on it? Yeah. And no other real. I mean, there's maybe other light shining at some other places. Actually, now that I think about it. Oh, but the main light in the cave. Yeah, but the object. Is, it's the cliche that our the object of our desire is highlighted with a beam of light. Right. So we can call it a cliche. We so can. we have a cliche yes. alert. Yes. You can do that. Okay, then that's what I'm going to do. But that's, I mean, that's, 
you want all the focus on that curse and on what's causing that curse. Yeah. So the light is causing the focus in there. You can call it a cliche. Okay, there we go. I was waiting for Indiana Jones to kind of come in with his whip. And it would look funny not done like that. Would it? I it don't know. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't stand out. It wouldn't have that impact, if you will, right. because there it is. It wouldn't stand out. It wouldn't be, the ship on Goonies is lit up. That's true, yeah. See? You always have to have it lit up. Right. Yeah, they always do that. Okay, movie folks, we get it. No, you have to. Otherwise, oh, have it's just going to gonna blend in with everything else, and it you that's, will not get that impact. Well, okay, that's that you. Yeah, get. that's possible. You're right. You're not going to get the impact of it because you won't see it all right. lit up. And I guess that gets back to what we were talking about with Adam too the other day. Of we can take some liberties for good storytelling. So right. We'll take some liberties for good storytelling. That light happened to be shining directly on well, this thing. I mean, look at or on the idol. Or on the Goonies ship. The Goonies the ship. I know you have a lot of feeling for the Goonies. I don't know what you're talking about. So when you first see that ship and it's all lit up, you know the feeling you get when you see that ship. Yeah, you, you do actually. Right. Especially as a kid. So yeah, if that's, it's not well, that's where lit my feeling up and came it's from. just kind of blending in with the background, you probably wouldn't get that same much. sense as... You do when you it's all lit up. That's true, and that's possible, actually. So I'll go with yes. that. Cliche, but maybe it still works. Well, kind of works. I'll, I'll have no, to, it does I'll have to ruminate on that. It wouldn't be right if it wasn't lit up. Okay, we would probably... It, then it I'd probably go, why didn't the hell didn't they light exactly. that up? Exactly. Okay. You wouldn't notice it like you do. I'll you wouldn't decide. get the same feelings. You wouldn't I'll have to think play. about that and decide. Maybe sometimes there, the realism is that it is hidden there. I know it won't have that same impact, but no. maybe we get in there and they're like... Where's the damn treasure? Somebody get some more torches because I can't see what's going on in here. No? No. It's like in the spooky movies, they always light up their eyes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially in the old time, like Dracula, yeah. the very first Dracula, Yeah, they always light up the eyes. Yeah, Put the like eyes the square up. over the eyes. Wasn't that also Mask. in Young Frankenstein? Did they do that? Probably. They, they dabbled in a few cliches here and there, if I recall. Maybe one or two. <laughs> Roaring is he, hey. <laughs> With all this stuff of highlighting and impact and stuff. So front and center is the Aztec gold chest. Well, the gold of Cortez or for Cortez. Maybe this is a song about Cortez. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> now that I think of it, I'm like starting to sing a song there. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. No Don't worry. <laughs> ah, I'll send you to the deep. We get a rather good look at the chest and it's peppered with Aztec and Mesoamerica symbolism. We can maybe get into it a bit more of it later or when we see the chest again, maybe. But mostly I just wanted to wait because I could do some additional research on it. Because as I mentioned, I've been really busy lately. And so now I want to make sure that I had the proper time to was- research Aztec symbolism and stuff. Those darn taxes. Yeah, I mean, I really ran out of time and couldn't dive as deep as I wanted to the subject. Yeah. Because it's really a pretty cool subject. A basic description of the gold chest is that the top section, or the lid maybe, is engraved with a total of 11 skull and crossbone sets. 54 Aztec figures on the actual main part of the chest. And there may be representations of Aztec gods, which is one of the things I really want to look into more. And then you have four main figures or gods holding what I believe is a double-headed serpent on the left and a single-headed serpent on the right. That's kind of my breakdown of that, or at least what I've seen. 
So the habit of snakes to shed their skin each year probably led them to being used to convey ideas concerning renewal and transformation. Likewise, the ability of many species to move freely between water, earth, and the forest canopy helped underline the symbolic role as intermediaries between the different layers of the cosmos, you know, underworld, earth, and sky. And maybe this is significant because the curse results in those who take the gold are between the underworld and the earth, right? I mean, oh, they yeah. walk in both realms. There right. are skeletons at night. There are people during the day. They're kind of walking in both those worlds. Not to mention the idea of rebirth and transformation. And this is a theme we consistently see and that appears in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. The double-headed snake is one of the most iconic and famous Aztec symbols. And the double-headed serpent or snake as I'm interchanging that, tended to have a negative association with it as, say, bearers of bad omens, which is pretty cool that it was on there. Yeah. And that it's on the chest here. So definitely that is something that rings a bell for Barbosa and his crew, kind of a signal of bad omens, and plays into the story that, hey, you're going to take this chest. The Aztecs are all ticked off at Cortez. They curse it and curse Cortez and all that kind of stuff. So that's as about as far as I wanted to dive into that. A, because I know sometimes the history can go on a little long, but B, I just wanted to get a better dive into it so I could really maybe pull out some kind of quick bullet points and to see if we could really have some interesting symbolism of all of these little figures that are showing up on this particular chest. Yeah. But it is a pretty cool and pretty detailed prop, if you want to call it that, or chest, depending on if we're talking in the movie or behind the scenes. Well, now it's in the ride, so it's it's a chest. That's right. I was also going to talk briefly about the lantern that we see at the very end of this minute, but this also pops up in minute 70, so I think I'll just wait. You get a better view in the next minute, Yeah, you do. And really, because I'm really trying to figure out what's holding that up. So I guess you'll have to stay tuned. <laughs> Boy, what a tease that is. Oh, I can't wait to hear what he says <laughs> of what's holding that lantern up. My God. <laughs> I'm going to listen all night because I got to hear that. So instead of historical Mesoamerican... Aztec symbolism, death and destruction, cursed treasures of Cortez and all that kind of good stuff. Instead, I'm just going to say, don't forget to head on over to our Facebook page and join the Cursed Listeners Crew group to discuss the show, share photos and all things Pirates of the Caribbean. We can even have a chat if there's any experts out there on some of the symbolism on this Aztec chest. That would be pretty cool. So that is pretty much all I have for today. It's all I have too. I say we wrap it up and get the hell out of here. Ooh. That was my end on a cursed Aztec note. <laughs> so we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 70 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Till then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Get me my Wednesday grog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up. The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags. While Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.